following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in Genesis. For previous messages or to find out more about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I hope you are doing well this morning. Uh, we before we get started, we're, we're going to jump into a brand new series into Genesis. I cannot wait. But before we get there, I have just a couple things for, uh, we'll call them housekeeping things real quick. Uh, first, tomorrow, um, I, I leave for my study break. Uh, I leave for my study break. So every year I do this. What, what this means is it's just a few days that I take to unplug and pray. Uh, to plan and to study. Those are kind of the three things. And, and like I said, prayer is a huge part of what I'm going to be focusing on the next couple days. And I would love the opportunity to pray for you. Uh, and so what, what I did is there should be a, a note card on your, on your chair. And if there is anything that I can, if you have any prayer need that you have, if there is any way that I can be praying for you, I want to invite you to let me know. Uh, write it on the card. You don't need to put a name on it if you don't want to. I'll match your handwriting. I'm joking. I won't do that. Uh, all you got to do is just write it here. And on the back, we have a box where we, we have our tithes and our offerings, that box back there. If you just take it, drop it in there, and I'm going to take those cards with me tomorrow. would love the chance uh, to pray for you. Uh, second, and then we'll jump right in, is after much blood, sweat, tears, and toil, uh, our church launched a new website this morning. So I want to invite you to take a look at it. We did this specifically so that we can be better at connecting with, with those who, who are looking for a new church. I know our website is one of the front doors of our church. And so I invite you, check it out. Hopefully you can find what you're looking for because that's the way it was designed. So if, if not, please um, let Craig know. He'll, he'll take that complaint. So um, having said that, I am, I am so excited about this morning, and, and we get to dive into the book of Genesis together. So we get to start on page one. Well, hopefully it's page one in your Bible in the book of Genesis. You can turn with me there. Uh, this is one of the most, I would argue, the most well-known books in all of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Uh, it is filled with so many familiar stories. You don't even need to have been raised in church to be familiar with some of the things that we're going to talk about in this, in this book. And, and I know our time together is going to be life-giving. As we look at Genesis, though, uh, Genesis is typically broken up right, well, it's not in half, but right down the middle, uh, verses, or chapters 1 through 11, and then chapters 12 and, and beyond. So chapters 1 through 11, what it looks like is the history of the, we'll just say the history of the universe. It talks about our beginnings as humans and our planet and, and the universe. And then something happens in chapter 12, it shifts, and it starts to talk specifically uh, about the history of Israel, about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and those stories. So it shifts in chapter 12. So what we're going to do as we teach this is we're going to follow that and we're going to deal with the first chunk, 1 through 11, and then we're going to take a break. Uh, here's the reason we do this. We love teaching through books of the Bible here at Stone Oak Bible. We absolutely love it. So we just made it through 1 John. 1 John has five chapters and it took us 17 weeks to get through five chapters of 1 John. Now, if we were to do that same thing for Genesis, we would be in it for 17 years. There is nothing wrong with that. 
but what we are going to do, because we don't want to give up on the way we, we teach here, we also don't want to avoid big books. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to bite them off into kind of bite-sized chunks. So our first chunk is going to be uh, 1 through, through 11. And, okay, so if Genesis is the most well-known book of the Bible, I would definitely argue that Genesis 1 is the most well-known chapter of the most well-known book in all the Bible. More than that, let me push it a little more. I would say that Genesis 1 is the most debated and the most highly contested book or chapter in all of our Bible. It was, uh, I was reminded this week by someone in our church who said, this chapter can in many ways be the single greatest hurdle for an individual coming to faith. He was right. He was right. Um, people either look at Genesis and they say, that cannot be true. Whether it's because they come with uh, uh, other theories, theories of evolution, science, whatever it may be, beliefs about God, you look at Genesis and you say, that's crazy. Some of us come to that conclusion. Others of us, though, on the other end of the spectrum, believe that not only is it true, but if you interpret this, if you dare interpret this any other way that I do, you're not Christian, right? So we have these polarizing views. And also, let's throw another group of us in here. You come to a series like this and you're like, I wonder what he's going to say. Right? I wonder where he's going to go with this. I get that. I really do. It, here's why. Because creation, our beginning, is, is a very polarizing, polarizing uh, topic that we're going to look at. This book is, this chapter is very polarizing. So here's what I want to, to say. We're going to pray. We're going to dive in. As we come to this, this today, as we come to this chapter today, also as we come to this chapter, or this, uh, this book, I want us to approach it with an open heart and an open mind, asking God, would you show us what you would communicate through your word? And that we would come expecting with, uh, that, that we would come to this book with uh, just laying out our time before God, not only for this morning in this, this chapter, but also for our series. And so I wanted to start, and I want us just to pause, I want us to pray, and then we will dive into page one of, of our Bibles. All right, God, thank you for your word, and I thank you for Genesis. As we think about our beginnings, as we look at a, a familiar story, God, would you speak? Would you show us? Would you communicate who you are so that we can better know you, love you, serve you, follow you, worship you? It's for all of this we pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, I don't think there is a more packed sentence in all of your Bible than these uh, in our English, what is that, 10 words? 10 words, and think about what just happened in those 10, in those 10 words. So we live in an incredible age where we can, on your phone right now, you can Google anything you want to Google, and you can see images and pictures of how vast our universe is and, and, and just, just unbelievable. We can look at, uh, at what we see through uh, stars and galaxies, solar systems. We can see all of this. We can see it and, and we, we just realize how, how big it really is. And so I want to get nerdy for a moment. Um, I want to read an excerpt from a, a book by Stephen Hawkins, so, who's widely referred to as the most brilliant theoretical physicist since Einstein. 
So he, he kind of knows what he's doing here. Um, this comes from a book that he entitled A Brief History of Time. He says, our galaxy is an average-sized spiral galaxy that looks to other galaxies like a swirl in a pastry roll. And that swirl is over uh, 10, or 100,000 light years across. By the way, if you're not good at that conversion rate, that is 600 trillion miles. Uh, we know that our galaxy is one of uh, some hundred million that can be seen using modern telescopes. Each galaxy itself containing some hundred million stars. Think about that for a moment. Just take that in. Anyone feeling small? Very small. Well, let's talk about being small, because not only did he create that, but every speck of dust, every particle, molecule on each of the hundred million galaxies, each one, every atom, electron, neutron, in 10 words, that happened. 10 words from nothing, that happened. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we could go home or at least start another worship service at this point, because should this not drive us to worship when we fully realize that our God did that? I want to encourage you sometime this week, just Google image. Uh, follow NASA on, uh, on Instagram or something. And every time you see one of those beautiful images, just realize our God did that. Our God did that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, from that verse, from verse 1, uh, our text takes our focus from the universe, and it narrows it down onto earth. So we go from the universe, we, and now it narrows down and gets special attention to God's creative work on earth. And in one, Genesis 1 in, chapter two, or in verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void. Well, God was going to fix that. God was going to fix that. Genesis chapter 1 tells us how he fixes that. And, and it, it took, God's word gives us 10 words to describe the creative of all the, the, the universe. And now he's going to give us seven days for how the, the, the emptiness and the void was filled on this earth. So what I want to do is, is go back to, uh, for those of you who are raised in church, back to Sunday school real quick. We're going to talk about the days, all right? We won't spend long here, but I want you to see something. Uh, day one, you see, starting in verse three, that God looks into the darkness, looks into darkness and says, let there be light. Let there be light, and, and out of darkness, light. Day two, God uh, creates an expanse and separates it from the waters below. So what he did is he calls it sky. And so in this moment, sky, waters. That's, that's day two. Day three, starting in verse nine, God uh, draws the waters together and up from beneath we have land. Land coming through uh, in, in vegetation and plants and lush just grow up. That's day, day three. So day one, we have light. Day two, sky and water. Day three, we have land and plants. Now, day four, verse 14, God looks into the heavens, looks into the skies, and he creates sun, moon, and stars. It's a busy day right there. Creates sun, moon, starts, uh, stars. What he creates is the luminaries. He creates the things, the bearers of light. So that's day four. Day five, 
He looks at that water and that sky, and he fills them with birds and fish. He, he fills them with birds and fish. Day six, he looks at the land and the vegetation, and he fills that land with animals and man. Now, I could say a lot about the creation of man, and I'm not avoiding it. We're going to hit that next week. So um, there's a lot I could say there. But for right now, I'm just going to leave it. Animals and, and man. So, so after each of these creative acts, after every day, what does our text say? He, he steps back, takes it in, looks at what he did, and he said, now that was good. That was good. That was good. Every day, repeats it, that was good, that was good, until day six when he says, now that was really good. That was, that was very, very good. Um, you'll notice something, something beautiful as you look at these days. And the reason that I have them on our screens like this is because if you realize on days one, two, and, and three, creating light, the, the sky, the sea, the, the land, and then on day four through six, what does he do? He fills them. He fills so we have form and filling. So days three, or days one, two, and three, he creates light, the sky, the water, the land, the plants, and then what does he do? The rest of the days, he fills them. Now, here's the thing that, that I think is absolutely beautiful, and um, I don't care who you are, this is cool right here. So chapter, or verse two, what, is, what did God say the problem was? Is the earth was without form, and void. So what does God do? Is he forms it and then he fills the void. The days of creation are a direct remedy to the problem of our earth being empty without form and void. God fixes that problem. So that's cool, all right? So I don't, I don't care who you are. That right there is, is really incredible. Um, but get this. So after all of that is done and after it was complete, so God steps back again. He steps back and he, and he looks at everything. And of course, this is after he says it's very good. And, and it takes us to day seven when, when the work was done and he rested. So you know that feeling after like a really hard, long day's work where you just, you, you crushed it, you nailed it. And you have that feeling of accomplishment at the end of the day. That doesn't even scratch the surface on what this must have felt like in this moment. When God steps back, takes a deep breath. It's just absolutely incredible. Uh, and as we, as we look back at, our, at this text, this, this long list of texts, uh, it is beautifully organized, as we already saw, like poetry. Things are mirroring each other, and, and it's just beautiful imagery, how, how form and fill come together. It's, it's just, it is beautiful. And although that is true, Genesis 1 is much more than just poetry. Genesis 1 is actually written as a narrative. It's written as a narrative, meaning um, it's meant to convey a true account. So it is a beautifully poetically structured narrative. That's the, way it's, that's the way it is written. Now, this, let's just get this on the table before we go any further, is not an exhaustive account. 
uh, on my, with my Bible, it is one page. That's not exhaustive, all right? That's not exhaustive, nor does it claim to be, nor does all of the pages in this, they could not contain that. And it doesn't claim to be. So it's not exhaustive. And in fact, let me push this a little further. Let me be clear on one thing. We get ourselves into a lot of trouble when we come to this as though it were a science book. This is not a science book. I didn't say it's not true. I said it's not a science book. As we, if we approach Genesis 1 like a science book, we, uh, we come to the text with questions that the text were never, was never meant to answer. Uh, we come to the, our minds run, and, and, and we have these questions that it was never intended to answer. And more than that, most of the time, it takes us away from the thing that Genesis 1 is trying to answer. So I want to have fun with this for a moment. As we approach Genesis 1 like a science book, uh, we can start thinking through questions like these. Maybe you've had some of these questions, and uh, you can relate. Did Adam have a belly button? It's a good one, isn't it? Think about that. Mind bender. Did Adam have a belly button? Did the trees that God created have rings? Or were they just tree? Like, what happened there? Like, how did that happen here? How long exactly is a day? That one's a, that one will get us discussing. Um, how long is a day? Was it a solar day? How can it be a solar day without the solar, without the sun? How does that, how does that work? Is this like one of those, our day is a thousand and in his, what is going on there? Um, what about dinosaurs? Where did that happen in here? Like fossils? And as I'm looking, this will get you. As I'm looking through a telescope and I see something two million light years away, well, by de- definition, I'm seeing something two million years ago. How does that fit? Like what? And our brains explode. And here's what can happen. We take these scientific questions, and we have them here, and then we go on to here, and we make this try to answer those questions when it never intended to. It doesn't want to. It wasn't written to, to answer those questions. So we can come, and we, we have things like since, you know, um, Genesis doesn't, talk about dinosaurs, they didn't exist. Or since uh, we do the timeline thing here, it couldn't have happened. And so we, we bring these, and all of a sudden we find ourselves down a lot of rabbit trails. So, so here's what I want to do. Come back and put our scientific brains, although good, I mean, love science, but let's come to this as what it is, which is a historic, poetic, beautiful narrative of what happened. So Genesis doesn't provide or seek to provide these, these, these answers for us. And so, by the way, this is why if you look at history and the church history, we have men and women who are so godly and have devoted themselves to Scripture, landing in tons of different places on how to interpret Genesis 1. Of course, they're not all correct, Right? They're not all correct. They're doing the best that they can. Um, But the reality is, throughout history, we have tried to wrestle with these things. One day, we will have answers. But 
what answers does Genesis 1 seek to give us? What is Genesis 1 trying to tell us? And, and here, this is, you're going to thank me for this. I want to boil Genesis 1 into one sentence. How many like cliff notes? I'm going to do you one better. One sentence, okay? I am a firm believer that if you get this sentence, if you understand this one sentence, that you will understand what Genesis 1 is seeking to communicate. And what I want to do, the way we're going to structure the rest of our time, is we're going to take this sentence and we're going to gradually unfold it, okay? Gradually unpack this this sentence uh, for us. And I I want to start (laughs) the way you would probably expect me to start, and I'll just say, in the beginning. All right, that's a good place to start. So our sentence today, we're going to start with, in the beginning, which is really a profound statement. Because if you think about it, there was a time before creation existed. There was a time before creation. It was a real time when, when nothing that was created had been created. There was, there was nothing. All creation has a starting point. All creation has a beginning. And although there was a time when creation did not exist There was never a time when our God did not exist. So in the beginning, before creation existed, our God existed, being there from all eternity. Put it like this. He is the only person who can say, I have no beginning. He's the only one who can say that without being crazy. I have no beginning. Our God has no beginning. And and so just for a moment, how crazy are we to doubt him? When I was preparing this week several times I had to stop and go why do I question I mean I've been I've been walking around for for several decades right and I look up to him and shake my fist at him if only you could see what I see God I mean in the beginning he was there God has no beginning and before creation he was he has existed eternally father son spirit Uh, John 1 echoes this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's a sentence. He was there in the beginning before everything was made. And then listen to this. I want to push this a little further. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should not only be holy and blameless before him. Uh, Listen to this. So not only did he exist from the beginning, but his love for you existed from the beginning as well. His plan for you outdates you. His plan for you was around before you got here. His love for you was there. He had this grand adoption plan before the foundation of the world that he had a plan to adopt you and to make you his. So now the question here that we love to ask is when? When? When did this happen? When did this take place? How long ago? Well, our text tells us. Our text tells us when this happened. First three words. In the beginning. That's when it happened. Some of you are like, come on. Got to get more details. Is this like circa 7,000 BC? Is this 3 million? No. 
It's in the beginning. And I want to continue because even more than that question is the who question. So I want to add one word to our sentence as we unpack it. In the beginning, God. There is a, an uncreated creator. An unmoved mover, an uncaused cause. In the beginning, God existed. God was there and God has no cause. Like we, so let me, uh, let me unpack this a little bit. Church, um, this was no accident. This was no accident. This was not by chance. This was designed, authored, and created. So to say creation has no, no creator is in many ways like going into a library, grabbing a novel, and saying that was, has no author. Has no, this was chance that these words just happened to go and get in a, in a love story, right? That was just chance. The fact that we would look at creation and say there is no creator is even more absurd than that. The chances are even more astronomical than that. This all didn't organize itself. It was created. It was designed. And if that's true, let's follow that out because this is beautiful to realize. You are not an accident. You are not an accident. You are not a, a, a chance. You are designed. You are designed intentionally. Creation has an artist. It has an author. So do you. In the beginning, God. So there's the when and the who. Let's continue. And now let's ask, uh, answer the what. In the beginning, God created all things out of nothing. This is important. God created all things out of nothing. So there's a, theologians love ridiculous Latin words. I think we love it just as much as the military does. Um, we love it. So uh, there's a word that the church has used throughout its history, ex nihilo, which, which what this means literally, out of nothing, from nothing. That's what it means uh, literally. And so uh, anyone here like Legos? Adults, please raise your hand. You can raise your hand for this. If you don't raise your hand right now, you've got issues. Legos are awesome, right? So, so okay, I want you to just play this out. So um, ex nihilo is like me telling you to build a Lego spaceship with no pieces. Go build a Lego spaceship, and I want you to accomplish that task with no pieces. That's something only God can do. Ex nihilo is something only God can do. Because in the beginning, when nothing existed, God took nothing and made everything. Like that, he made the Lego spaceship with no pieces. Like that's, that's mind-boggling here. That he, he made everything from nothing. We said creation has an artist. Well, how cool is it, is it that our artist doesn't even need art supplies, right? He doesn't need art supplies. He comes and he speaks everything out of nothing. And so I want to continue because that just, to ask the how question. How did he do that? How? Well, in the beginning, God created all things out of nothing. How? Through his word. Through his word. So I, I don't know if you caught it as, you, as you've read Genesis 1. Like, let's look at Genesis 1-3. God said, 
let there be light. And there was light. So let's go to our Lego analogy again. So not only do I want you to build me a Lego spaceship with no pieces, no hands either, all right? No pieces, no hands, build it. That is something only our God can do. He, he spoke it together. He spoke it together. I'll even give you the pieces, and I want you to speak them together. That doesn't happen, but our God made that happen. He made that happen. And so we, we, we look around at our world. We look around at the people in this room, and we, we realize God did this. Out of nothing, he spoke this. He created this. He designed this. This was purposeful. So lastly, I want to ask the question, why? Why did he do this? So in the beginning, God created all things out of nothing. Why? Through his word, why? Why did he do it? I want to push it before we put it on the screen here. Um, why on earth did he create Adam? Knowing full well what that creation was going to do. Why did he create Adam, knowing what's going to happen in Genesis 3 specifically? I mean, we made it a chapter or two, right? Why did he create Adam knowing that humanity would be broken? Why? Well, let's, let's look. In the beginning, God created all things out of nothing through his word for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. So after every creative act, remember, he steps back and he goes, now that was good. Now that was good. That was good. That was good. That was really good. He steps back. It was for his good pl pleasure. Creation was for his good pleasure. Um, this is why this is important, because God did not need anything. Our God didn't need anything. He wasn't sitting around really bored and like, it would be great if there was something. Uh, it wasn't like the Godhead was just around not having things to do. That wasn't it. He didn't, I'll put it like this. God did not need to create you. It's better than that. He chose to create you. He didn't need to create you. He chose to for his good pleasure. He created you. You are not the burden that he tolerates. You are not the burden he tolerates. You are the creation that he created for his good pleasure. He was good. It was good. And before he created you, he knew the plan, and it was good. It was good. In the beginning, God created all things out of nothing through his word for his good pleasure. If you take that sentence in, and you understand what this sentence communicates. That is Genesis 1. This is Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created all things out of nothing through his word for his good pleasure. So I want to do this. I want to I end our time together with this. In light of this, as we truly understand this and we grasp this, there's going to be two very strange things that are going to happen in our minds simultaneously. They seem to be opposing, but they're going to happen at once. When we understand this, two things are going to, that seem opposite are just going to collide in our hearts. One, 
we feel so small. We feel so small. In light of the God who builds Lego ships with no pieces and no hands, we feel so small. Small. I feel so small when I consider how vast this world, this universe is. I get overwhelmed when I think of how big San Antonio is. How small do I feel when I consider the vastness of this universe? How small do I feel when I think of myself in comparison to eternity, to a God who has always been? How small do I feel? I feel so small, yet in light of this, and on the other hand, something else collides with that, and that is I feel so significant. I feel so significant because although I am small and although God doesn't need me, he chose me. He chose me. I mean, just wrap your mind around. I am small, yet he chose me. He adopted me. He... We simultaneously feel so small and yet so significant. And honestly, this is in so many ways the wonder of the gospel. That, that we who are undeserving, who have nothing to plead our case, are adopted by a father for his good pleasure as he loves us and made a way for us to be his. We feel so small yet so significant. It, it's like significant insignificance. And it's a wonderful thing. And here's what happens when, when, when we feel that. Our smallness tends to drive us to have so much deeper faith in our God. To drive us to have so much more confidence in our God. Understanding Genesis 1 should increase your faith. Period. Understanding Genesis 1 should increase your faith. Because you are so small. He is so big. Each time that we read this, our confidence in our God should grow. Because how small does our problems look in comparison to this? If you remember when we went through Job, this is what God reminded Job of. He said, hey, remember that? And what did Job do in the midst of all of that pain and suffering? He said, you, I wasn't there. You were. Should drive us to a faith and a confidence in our God, at the same time, my significance through Christ should drive me to worship. There should be no greater, no other fuel needed. Understanding Genesis 1 should inspire one reaction, that is worship. Our God is so great, creator of all things. He loves me and he chose me. What more can I do? What more can I do? So, so here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you, challenge you to do something with me this week. I want to encourage you, challenge you to take Genesis 1 at some point this week. Maybe you're a morning person. Do it a morning. Maybe you're a night person. I don't get you, but do it at night. Uh, take Genesis 1, and I just want you to, to read it devotionally. What I mean by that is I want you to read it, and as you read it, continually, maybe even out loud. It might be weird, but it's, it's good. Out loud, say my God did this. My God did this. 
my God did this. Read this devotionally and, and, and say that to yourself in a way that increases your faith and draws you to worship. That's the purpose of Genesis 1. To tell us about what our God did and so that we could respond to him in confidence, faith, and in worship. Um, Genesis 1 should drive us to have the same response that David had in the psalm that we read in worship, Psalm 19. Should drive us to have that same response. And so, uh, so as we began our time with that, I, I thought it would be appropriate for us to end our time by reading Psalm 19. And we're reading the words of someone who had this realization. And so together, what I wanted to do is just to let, let's make this our hearts as well. As we read Psalm 19, um, let it just, let us begin to worship God with the same heart of the psalmist. Listen to this. Listen to David's word. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete, eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens, and it follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey him. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's pray together. God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart, let them be pleasing to you. As we just read about your powerful work, and creating all things out of nothing through the power of your word. God, you are such a big, awe-inspiring God. You are such a big and awe-inspiring God. And in light of that, God, we get to stand before you knowing that you love us, you chose us, that you created us for your good pleasure. And so, God, as, as we, we said, let our words, let the thoughts of our heart be pleasing to you. Because in doing that, we are truly 
living in the way we were designed to live. God, let that be true for us. As we go from here, help us to every moment that we are just in awe about what you have created. Let it be the thing that drives us to know that we can trust you, that we can put our faith and our confidence in you, and let it drive us to worship. You are a great God. In Jesus' name, amen.